Matthew chapter 16, we're coming up into verse number 5. The the disciples are with Jesus, and and they had just experienced one of the greatest miracles known to man. And whenever you begin to talk about the miracles of Jesus and just the fact that Jesus came to the earth as a miracle, we don't celebrate it enough. The angels did. We sing a song called Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but how many of you know that we, we sometimes don't realize how beautiful and awesome it is that God visited earth, that God manifests in flesh. Amen. We don't, we don't see the beauty of that like those angels did. But however, listen to this. In, in verse number five, they had just experienced this awesome miracle, the feeding of the 4,000 men. Now, we don't know how many women or children because they didn't count. Or they weren't counted in the scripture. But what we do see is that there was at least 4,000 people that ate that, that had the bread. Do you remember the miracle where Jesus fed the, the 4,000? And so right after that, they're on the spiritual high. How many of you know that'd be a spiritual high if you saw the feeding of the 4,000 from just a few fragments of bread, right? Now watch this. In, in Matthew 16, verse 5, it says, When his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. They had just been around all this bread, and when they got to the other side, they forgot to take some with them. Sometimes we get preoccupied, right? I believe, I honestly believe that they were so preoccupied and so enamored with the fact that Jesus did all this stuff that they forgot to take stuff with them. Sometimes you get around spiritual folks, you get around spiritual teachings, you get around spiritual things, and sometimes you forget the little things, right? And God used this as an opportunity to teach his people. He Sometimes we think, well, why am I going through this situation? You're going through things because God is forging you. Do you realize that God needs you to be on fire? That God's desire is that you would grow in Christ? That you would grow in the power of the Spirit? That you would be a vessel that He could use in a godless generation? Would you be willing to be tested and tried and pushed on in pride that God may be able to use you? Amen? Whenever you begin to see that God tests us and tries us, it's like when he, when you make a sword, they would stick that iron in the fire and they would beat it and they would beat all of the impurities out of it so that it would be a refined vessel that the owner of the sword could use. And none of us like to get beat on, none of us like to get questioned or tested, but it is the most important thing that we could go through. Amen? It is the most important thing that we could go through. No, no child likes to get corrected, right? But that lets that child know that the parent loves them. So here comes this test, and the Lord, the Lord sees that they didn't take any bread. And sometimes that's like us. We, we forget things. We neglect things. Look what happens in, in verse number 6. It says, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, that doesn't really make sense. Why are you telling me to, to beware of this leaven? I, I don't have any bread. Why are you telling me to beware of the leaven? Well, there's something important that the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees represents. But that's not the greatest test. The greatest test is, is, is yet to be seen. Watch this. It says in verse number seven, and they reason among themselves saying, it is because we've taken no bread. They immediately began to, to take a spiritual teaching and bring it back to the natural. When God is trying to help them in the spirit, 
God's trying to help them to grow spiritually. I want you to know God wants you to be taken care of naturally. But God's most important thing is that you are taken care of supernaturally, that you are taken care of spiritually, that your inner man grows to be more Christ-like is more important than that you have bread in your pantry. Do you agree with that? Because God, God, it doesn't matter to God how he feeds you. He's going to make sure that you get taken care of. But his greatest priority is that you grow as a man or a woman of God. That you become that man or woman that he designed you and destined you to be. And I want you to know you haven't reached it yet because Paul said he didn't reach it yet. He said he hadn't attained to it yet, but he reaches forward, right? That, that shows you right there that we all need to be ever being filled with the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives every single day. And when we stop doing that, we start dying. We start going backwards. We start regressing and we start getting stony hearted again. But God wants to take those stones out and give us a heart of flesh. So they, they immediately began to think right, uh, uh, right out the bat, God is teaching them something spiritually, and they begin to think about it physically, right? It's like whenever you go into church and you start singing a song about how God is high and holy and lifted up, and all you think about is, why did they paint the walls that color? You see, God's, God is touching our hearts and God is, is showing us that there, there are times that we have to look past the natural circumstances. That we have to look past the natural and see what God is teaching us. Do you know that the Comforter still teaches? Amen. That he still teaches and he still guides in all truth. Jesus spoke that in, in John chapter number 16. But do you know that God still does that in your life? He's not done teaching you. You haven't arrived. You don't know it all. You can memorize a book about systematic theology and be so far away from God, it's not even funny. It's not about how much you know in your head. It's about how much God has you. Does God have you? Amen? Does God have you? And that's the most important thing. Now watch this. It says, that they, they reasoned that it's because we took no bread. So they're saying, oh, he's getting mad at us. And, you know, we didn't take any bread. He's going to crack the whip on us. Look at what Jesus said. This is how you know. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because you have brought no bread? So that tells you right there that the question that Jesus posed to them was not a natural question, but a spiritual question. God is asking them, pushing them, prying them, testing them, trying them spiritually, not naturally. He's not asking them where the bread is. And if you go get bread from the Pharisees and and the Sadducees, just don't get their leaven. He's not saying it like that. He's pushing them. He's telling them why you have so little faith. Well, how do you square that? What are you trying to teach us, Lord? What are you trying to teach us about this passage? Oh, ye little faith tells you that this is a spiritual matter. The details, listen to this, the details of the feeding, the details of the feeding should have led them to a deeper devotional faith. 
the details of the feeding. In, in other words, they, they should have seen and realized that God could make bread out of anything. He could have used anything to feed himself and anybody else. He just fed over 4,000 men. And they immediately lost that. It didn't matter how much bread they had. It didn't matter that they forgot bread. He's the bread of life. He could have taken a, a, a pebble and turned it into bread if he desired to. They should have known and recognized we just saw a miraculous thing happen. It should lead us into a deeper devotional faith, knowing and trusting the fact that we're with God right now. It doesn't matter what we don't have. It matters who we have. Who we have is more important than what we have or what we don't have. Now think about that in our lives. How do we, do you know that we serve the same Jesus that they serve? Do you know that? We serve the same Jesus they serve. And Jesus is telling them, where's your bread at? Lord, you got the bread. You are the bread, Lord. It doesn't matter what I have or don't have. It doesn't matter what my job is or is not is. It doesn't matter what I bring to the table or what I have. It doesn't matter what my situation is. As long as God's in my situation, that's what matters. What matters the most is that God is with me, God is in me, and God is still God. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God ever did anything for anybody, he'll do something for you. He was trying to get the disciples to see and understand that if he fed the 4,000, right, when they didn't have enough bread, he could certainly have fed them. I believe what the response he wanted them to have when he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, I believe the response he wanted them to say is, yes, Lord, when you give us more bread, we'll make sure of that. Because he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Watch, watch what happens. It says, and, and one of the things that, that they said is, in verse number 9, he said, do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up. How is it that you do not understand? Understand. Look, they knew the facts, but they didn't understand it spiritually. Some people have heard about Jesus. They've heard about the power of the Holy Spirit. They've heard about God being a provider. They've heard about God. They've heard about the things that he's done, but they have not understood spiritually that this is the reality, that the gospel is the, the power of the gospel is the preaching of the cross. That, that is the power of God and the salvation for those that believe. There is no other power. There's no other name given to us whereby we can be saved. There's no other way for you to be reconciled to God except through Jesus Christ. There's no other name that every knee's going to bow to and every tongue's going to confess, but Jesus Christ. That reality, sometimes you can hear and not understand. Just because you hear it doesn't mean you got it. The reality is this. Do you actually partake of the manna from heaven? That's the question. You can hear about it. You can read about it. You can write home about it. You can memorize it. 
But the reality is this, in, in, in the secret place, in your prayer life, in your devotional life, in, in the quietness of who you are, when you become still and you get alone with God and it's just you and, and, and God Almighty, are you truly partaking of the manna of life? There is, and if you're not, there's nothing nobody can do. If you're not partaking of the manna of life, there's nothing nobody can do to help you out. You'll be, you'll, you'll, because you don't have the source of life in you, you will always constantly find a critical thing. You'll always find why you don't have something and why they have something and why this isn't working like that and this isn't working like this. You will always be critical and tearing down because you're not who you're called to be because you're not feasting on that manna from heaven. What does eating natural daily manna look like? What does it look like if we truly feast on God daily? If we truly partake of him daily, it means that he nourishes our soul. Not our body, our soul. See, a lot of times, we, we, when, especially in today's churches, when you begin to talk about God, you begin to talk about the blessings of God, a lot of times people correlate that to getting a promotion at work, getting a new car, getting new clothes. They believe, they, they believe that as they grow in God, they're going to grow in stuff. This is antithetical to the gospel of God. See, godliness with contentment is great gain, according to the Bible. This is in direct and in stark contrast to the gospel that is preached today. Godliness. What does it mean to be godly? It means to have Jesus in you. You don't have to act like me. You don't have to act like brother so-and-so. You don't have to act like who the denomination says you got to act like. you got to have God in you. And if you have God in you, you'll begin to get godly. And I'm here to tell you today that God can be living inside you. All you have to do is receive by faith the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and God will be alive in you. Well, you don't know what it's like to live my life. You don't know what it's like to, 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 uh, to be in my situation, Pastor. I don't, but God does. And we'll let God determine the matter. How about that? I don't know what it's like, but God does. And I want you to know God's no respecter of persons. If God was a respecter of persons, I don't think any of us would be saved. Because none of us brought anything worthwhile to the table. I love the fact that what God respects and what God honors, what God adores, and what God is pleased in is Jesus. And that he invites me to come and to die in Christ. And once I come and I die to self in Christ, that I would be raised to new life, just like Christ was raised to new life. That the Spirit of God would live and dwell in me, just like the Spirit of God came and rose up Jesus Christ on that third day. You know what? God's desire is to have a new work in your life today. God's desire is to have a new work in your life today. See, when Jesus began to question his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees, and we're going to talk about the leaven of the Pharisees in a minute, but for, for right now, I want you to just focus on this, this part right here. 
when he began to question them about the leaven of the Pharisees, he's pushing to see whether they were still carnal or whether they were spiritual. He was testing them. Do you know that Jesus knew the answer? He didn't, he didn't ask them the question not knowing the answer. He didn't ask them the question not knowing where they were. But a lot of times we need to see where we're at. A lot of times we need to be exposed. A lot of, you, you, when you begin to talk about being exposed, people are like, uh-uh. No, 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 you're not going to expose me. But you know that whenever revival comes, whenever God begins to move in your life, you really don't care. Because you'd rather have God than self. You'd rather have God. You'd rather have more God. And when we get to the point where we're desperate for God, then God will come. See, whenever, the, whenever Jesus told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high, he didn't tell them to go and play cards. He didn't tell them to go make nachos. He didn't tell them to go, you know, have a pizza party until God comes. He didn't tell them to go and have a worship concert. He didn't tell them to go. do. He said, go tarry before God. What does it mean to tarry before God? It means to give your heart continually to God and to wait upon him until he moves upon you. That's the secret that the church has lost. The gospel of Jesus Christ and tarrying before him until he endues you with power from on high. You can imitate people, you can imitate things, but you cannot, listen, you cannot get away with this re, without this reality. You must have God in you. So you talk about that, a humanist or universalist, somebody like that, somebody who's been around false teaching, they go, hold on, hold on, what you mean God in me? The word of God says Christ in you is the hope of glory. The word of God says Christ in you is the hope of glory. If you don't have Christ in you, you don't have hope. God has given you this spiritual reality. You, do you realize that you are called to be the temple of God? That we are the temple of God? How many of you know that that's a reality? You are the temple of God, right? You are the te- Is it empty? Is it vacant? Is it dormant? Can people get around you and talk about Jesus and you just kind of, uh. you know, whenever Elizabeth was around Mary and, and, and Mary walked in the door, do you remember what happened? I mean, Mary walked in the door with Jesus in the womb and John the Baptist leapt in her womb. I mean, she, she said immediately, immediately she knew she was in the presence of the Lord because the babe in her womb leapt. How sad is it? How much of a commentary is it on the church today that you can be around God, that you can be around the people that love God, that are filled with the Spirit of God, that talk about the Lord, that have Jesus in their heart, on their mind, and out of their lips, and we can just sit there and not bat an eye. We can sit there and have a a, a dazed look on our face and glass over our eyes while people talk about the one who lived, who died, and rose again for our soul 
look, you have to look at the gospel as the fact that God did this for you. God was purchasing your soul. You were so far outside of God. You were so unholy. God had to cross the chasm from heaven to earth. He manifested in the flesh. He bore my transgressions on the cross. He allowed his blood to be shed for my soul. And he rose from the dead on the third day, conquering death hell and the grave for you and for me and for all those outside the kingdom of God today. God, listen, God did that for you. We should have more for, we should not, look, we shouldn't live in a generation that has a a golf clap for God. He deserves more than a golf clap. Right? You know what a golf clap is? It's a respectable little pat, pat, pat. Yay, Jesus. Get him, Lord. Yay. We should have more for God. When we understand and realize what he did. You know, I I talked about earlier that the, the angels, whenever he came to this earth, they began to sing. Do you remember that? They woke up those shepherds. They began to stir. Those angels said, hark, hark the herald angels sing, right? They couldn't, they, were, they couldn't understand. They were beside themselves how God had come to earth. Do you know that we should have the same thought when we see what Jesus did? When we understand that God came here and he bore my sin on that cross and now he's ascended up to the throne of glory. The one, like it says in Daniel 7, the one like the Son of Man has come, amen, to the throne and he receives all dominion and power and kingdoms and nations and tribes and tongues. They will all bow before the one who purchased our souls. It, it, it should do something. And one of the things that we see in the church world today is people shy away from this reality. They shy away from this truth. They cover up the cross. They don't talk about the blood. They don't talk about the Spirit of God living in us and working through us. But I want you to know that God wants to do a new work in you today. And he's going to do a new work in the church today. Just when it looks like all hope is gone, God's going to show up. Amen. Do you know and realize and understand whenever Gideon was marching with the Israelites, he didn't want to go, but God called him to go. God told him to go. He didn't want to go. And then he had this huge army, and he was going to come against the Midianites. And God said, it's too many, because y'all are going to think that y'all did it. And God whittled them down, and God whittled them down to 300 plus Gideon. And you know why? Because, look, all hope seemed lost. He got it to where it looked like there was no possible way. And you know what? When there was no possible way, God showed up, God showed out, and God was triumphant on that day over the nation of Midian. And I want you to know no matter how dark it looks, no matter how despair it looks, no matter how depressed it may look like, I want you to know there's still a God on the throne. He still works through men. You might be one of the 300 that he uses, but God's going to get a... Listen, God's going to get the victory over this world. Come hell or high water, he's going to get the victory. His name's going to be glorified. He's going to have a people for himself. 
He will, listen, he will have a people. He had Gideon. Does he have you? He had 300. Does he have you? Is he in you? Is he alive in you? Is he working in you, right? Now, one of the things that we see in that passage is that God, God was going to show up. He was going to triumph over the nation of Midian. But he had to get it to the point where it seemed like all hope was lost. If you think about it and you read the story of Gideon, he was threshing wheat, right, in the wine press. He was hiding, threshing the wheat so that the Midianites didn't see him. But he knew, right? He knew God was still working. He knew God was still working. He was a godly person. And if you, it, listen, if you will allow God to do what he desires to do in you, he will use you to be, listen, to be a thorn in the side of this world. He will use you to be a thorn in the side of this world, to be a light in the darkness that is in this world, to be a witness to those that are lost. The, the Great Commission is still in effect. God has called us to go into the highways and the byways to preach the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ so that those who are dying and perishing would be saved irrespective of, of their nationality or their race or their gender or what nation they're in or even what political party they're in. God wants to save Republicans and Democrats. Hallelujah. God doesn't want our hopes to be in a government. God doesn't want our hopes to be in politicians or political parties. God doesn't want our hope to be in who's mayor or who's governor or who's president or who's in the Supreme Court. God doesn't want your hope to be in the policeman. God doesn't want your hope to be in the army. God doesn't want your hope to be in your pastor. God doesn't want your hope to be in anyone except for Jesus Christ because he is the hope of glory. He is the hope of the world. He is the hope of our soul. Our hope Hope should not rest in men, but in the man Christ Jesus. God manifest in flesh. That's who our hope should rest in. Now, if you'll turn with me to the book of Psalm. Psalm chapter 92. I want to show you something over here. Psalm chapter 92. Don't worry. We're going to get back to the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's it's where it kind of it gets good right there. But we got to hit this point. Psalm chapter 92. One of, the, one of the things and the problems that we see in the church world today is everybody's about growth, growth, growth. If you, if you have a, a, a seminar or a webinar or a church growth inar, it's going to be about how to grow your church, how to grow your ministry, how to grow your personal space, how to grow your family, how to grow this, how to grow your bank account, how to grow your 401k, how to, how to grow your home so that you can go from 4,000 square feet to 18,000 square feet, how to grow your IRA, how to grow your stock account, how, how to grow. It's all about that. But when was the last time you saw a, a, a church put on a conference about how to grow in holiness? When was the last time you, you saw somebody say, we're going to have a church webinar about how to grow in holiness unto God? How to be more holy, how to be more godly, how to live more peculiar in this generation. When was the last time you saw somebody do that? Why? Why? It tells you that our, our church world has been commercialized, monopolized by things. And, 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 and the reality is this. God's desire is not to grow you up and to grow you out, but to grow you in Christ. 
You don't need to go to a webinar or, or a seminar to understand this reality. God's desire is that you grow in Christ. Before you do anything. Before you stop, go. Before you get a, a helpmate. Before you grow in, in children. Before you grow in ministry. Before you grow in any area of anything. God's desire is that we grow in Christ. And you don't have to pay money for that. Somebody charges you $35 to figure out how to grow in Christ. Come on. Psalm chapter 92, verse number 12. It says, the righteous. The righteous. Now, let's translate that in the New Testament. Who's righteous today in the church age? The dispensation in which we live. Who is righteous? Because the Bible says in Romans 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. But the Bible also says what? That we believe unto righteousness. We've been given by faith righteousness of Christ. We've exchanged our sin, our transgression, our carnal nature, our transgression for his righteousness. It is by faith, this is, in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4. The righteous are those that are clothed, listen, not with our own works, not with our own righteous deeds, not with what we bring to the table, not with what we've done, not with our list, our experiences, not with, with, with our, our resume of all of our great works that we've done in the last month. That's not our righteousness. Our righteousness is Christ. Christ is our righteousness. We believe upon him and God, it says in, in Romans 4, God imputes righteousness to us by faith. God imputes the righteousness of Christ to you. That's your righteousness. So it says the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now, what's the, what, what is it remarkable about a cedar tree and a palm tree to you? And God correlating that to the way the, the righteous flourish. They're evergreen. They're always producing. They're always growing. Now, I understand that, that one of the things you want to see is you, you, you don't want to take a, an illustration too far, but you just want to see the, the thing that God wants you to see. That if you look at a cedar tree, you look at a palm tree, it's green. What about in December? It's green. What about in January? It's green. Some of you aren't listening. You know what it's like to be in, a, in the winter of your life? You know what it's like to be in the time of life where, where, where it's not spring anymore? Things don't work like they used to work. It's winter. It's fall. It's cold. It's dark. It's dreary. It's foggy. It's icy. And yet the cedar tree's still green. You know God wants to, God wants to do a new work in you. He wants to make you like a cedar tree. Cedar tree smells pretty. But the part he wants you to see is that it stays green. Even in its winter season, it stays green. Even in its winter season, it stays green. Now, here's an illustration I want to share with you real quick. This is about growth. God says that the righteous will flourish. When was the last time, right? When was the last time that you could honestly say you were flourishing in God? 
When was the last time you could say you honestly were flourishing in God? I want you to know this. God hasn't stopped working. God still works the same way he did yesterday. If we're not flourishing, it's because we're not planted where we're not supposed to be. And, and, and that's it. And all we have to do is get replanted in Christ where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to get right back in that place where God designed us to be. Look at this next verse. It says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Now, there's a lot that we could get into this, but it says those that are planted in the house of the Lord. Nobody's going to get planted in anything unless they come through Jesus. Jesus said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. All that we have in God, we come to and we receive, we access by faith in the life, the death, and the resurrection of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. I want you to see this reality. Any person that, that, that begins to grow in God, it's because they've been planted in Christ. Not about your denomination, not about how much money you've given to the church, not about any of those kinds of things. It's about you being planted in Christ, okay? One of the sad realities and commentaries on the church world is because we've covered up the cross, we don't preach the blood, we never talk about the resurrection, that is the gospel, the straight gospel, and nothing but the gospel. But because we hide those things and we don't talk about those things, many in the church world are not planted in Christ anymore. They're planted, listen, they're planted in the blessed life, but they're not planted in the God life. They're planted in blessings. They're planted in how things appear. They're planted in the perfume of the situation. They're planted in in the way that things look picturesque. And they're planted in what they have and what's been given to them. But they're not planted in the God life in Christ. It says that they're planted in the house of the Lord and they'll flourish in the courts of our God. First thing I want you to see is you got to be planted inside before you can be flourishing outside. you got to be planted inside before you can begin to flourish outside. God wants to do a new work in us. God wants to be, God wants to have all my heart before he uses my heart. God wants to have all my soul before he puts me to work. God wants to, God wants to refine and purify and cleanse. Listen, and, 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 and there is, there's two realities I want you to see about that. You got to be planted, then you'll be flourishing. Here's the problem about flourishing. We all want a shortcut. We all want the webinar version of how to flourish. You can't flourish until you're planted. You can't be planted unless you're resolved to, be, to let everything else go. You ever seen a plant be planted in two different places at the same time? When was the last time you planted a, a tomato plant? Did you plant it in one place or two places? A tomato plant. You can only plant it in one place at a time. And this, the reality is, a lot of times we think that we can get planted in Christ, in the church, and in the community and in politics, and in the things going on in society, and we can get planted in this and planted in that. We can get planted in our vision for our lives, and we can get planted in, 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 in soccer practice, and we can get planted in this and planted in that, and still flourish. Not so. You have to be planted in the house of the Lord. 
that means you have to come to letting everything else go. When we come to Christ, we, we resolve, listen, we resolve to let all go. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This is one of the realities that we don't see. One, one guy, uh, Reverend uh, Garfield was his name. He, he was a, a, a director and, and a minister of a, of a Bible college. And a rich guy brought his son to this minister and he said, hey, we don't have time to be going through all the years of seminary because my kid, he's, he's not, you know, faithful. He's not diligent and uh, we got a lot of stuff we need to do. So is there any way that you can kind of speed up the process? That minister said, yeah, yeah, we can speed up the process. But there's something you need to know before we do it. You need to determine what you want me to make of your son. He said, because God takes 100 years to make an oak tree. But he takes two months to make a squash. You determine what you want your child to be. And, and, and the reason I'm telling you that is this. We, we want growth, we want it now, and we, we want to be on and go on about our own business. See, there, this guy was wanting his son to grow in God and to continue to live for himself. It's not possible. You'll end up being a squash. You'll end up being a squash. You, you have to be resolved to let all your agenda go, that God can have all of you. One of, the, one of the things whenever God told the, 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 the disciples to go and tarry in that upper room, look, we don't understand it, but there is no, well, you know, I, I got to go tend to the farm. When he said tarry, they had to tarry. There's no, hey, you tarry for me today and I'll tarry for you tomorrow. Neither one of them would have filled with the Holy Ghost. They had to be resolved, listen, resolved to let everything else go so that they could grab hold of God. And we're never going to begin to flourish in God until we're fully planted in Christ. God works the same way yesterday, today, and forever. And as soon as we're ready to get planted firmly and fully in Christ, then and only then will we begin to flourish. Then and only then will we begin to flourish. Isn't God good? God wants all of you. And he'll give you all of himself. He'll give you all of himself. Now, let's turn, turn with me back over there to Matthew chapter 16. Let's, let's work through this 11 real quick. <clears throat> See, one of the... One of the things that Jesus was teaching the disciples here in Matthew 16 was they didn't understand the reality of, of the feeding of the 4,000. They didn't understand the reality. They, they understood the dynamic. They understood 4,000 people ate, but they didn't understand the spiritual dynamic that wherever Jesus is, there's going to be bread. They didn't understand that. Now, and don't think about that carnally. Don't think about that, okay, well, he's, he's my bread. I, I, you know, I'll have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches whenever Jesus is around. That's not what he's talking about. 
He said, you didn't understand it, meaning in faith you didn't understand. You didn't understand the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. You know, he said in John chapter 6 that he is the bread of life. And unless you eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, you would not have eternal life. He said that he is the bread of life. He correlated that to the manna that God gave the nation of Israel in the desert. He correlated it to that. And when Jesus asked them about the leaven of the Pharisees, here's what they missed. Here's what they missed. Jesus is not talking about natural bread. Natural bread you can eat one time, and guess what? You're going to get hungry in about two hours. You'll get really full, but then you'll be really hungry in two hours. That's the way natural bread works. That's not the way spiritual bread works. The way spiritual bread works is that it fills you all your life. That you never have a need from any other person or any other thing. God will fill you so much to the point where you don't run and crave the attention and the affection of men or of authorities or of any other thing. That's why Peter could say firmly and defiantly that that we, listen, we obey God, not men. That's why Peter said that. Because he was full of the bread of life. He didn't need what men could give him. He needed what God could give him. And once we understand that reality, we begin to understand what Jesus was teaching here. Let me ask you this. What what is it that your soul feeds on? What is it that your soul feeds on? Does your soul feed on anything other than Christ. And, and, and if we're honest, if we're honest, each of us, we, we begin to feed on other things. If we're honest. You don't want to be honest, that's okay. You can stay dishonest. But the reality is, the more we grow in Christ, the more we feed on Christ. But the less we feed on Christ, the less we're going to grow in him. When you look at yourself, or you look at a church, or you look at a denomination, or you look at the effect of a church in a society, you cannot expect it to grow without first growing in Christ. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see that there is no, there is no bypass to growing except dying and receiving Christ. is coming to that place where we see the reality that the spiritual dynamic will never flourish in our lives until Christ flourishes in our lives. What is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, you could, you could say anything, really. It's false teaching, Pastor. It's false teaching. Yes, it's false teaching. I got a couple, of, a, a couple of things about it. Number one thing that the Pharisees and Sadducees did is they added layers of men's doctrines to the pure word of God. One of the, one of the things that, that Jesus confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees about the most is that they obeyed the doctrines of men and not the doctrine of God. And whenever you get men involved and you get denominations involved, they'll begin to, to lift up their own pet things and their own ways and their own, you know, way of doing things. 
But they, what they did is they added layers of men's doctrines to the pure word of God. So sometimes we have to watch out for that. Jesus preached about it. What, what happened? Why? Why, did, why is that important? Because it removes the simplicity of the gospel. It removes the purity of the gospel. It removes the simplicity. It, it, it makes it all these steps and all these things and all these classes and all these places you got to go and do and be instead of the simplicity of the gospel, which is you trusting Christ. You trusting what he did on the cross, purchased your soul, makes you right with God, that he died on that cross, that he rose from the dead on the third day. You confessing that he is Lord, you believing that he rose from the dead. And listen, that's the simplicity and the purity of the gospel, and that you tarry before God and you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you up so that you can be empowered to be a vessel for him to work through. Listen. Number one is that they added layers of men's doctrines to the pure, simple gospel or to the word of God. The other thing that they did is they removed the power. Whenever you begin to add to or take away from the word of Christ, you remove the power of it. What, how is that possible? Look at the church. Good Lord, look at the church. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. We, 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 we talk about a God we don't know about. We have systematic theology when we should have systematic neology. We should be training people and teaching people to get on their faces instead of cramming words in their head. And I'm not denigrating theology, but I'm saying without the reality of the relationship, without coming to Christ, without letting the world go and grabbing hold of the feet of the Savior, without getting back to that place where tears and altars and knees and confession and repentance has its place in the church, we're never going to be the people God wants us to be. We're never going to accomplish the work God has before us until we get reacquainted with the altars in the churches again. And in our homes and in our personal lives, we cannot remove the living power, the reality of God at work in our lives. We don't have a form of religion. We have the reality of Christ in us. Once you get it down and boil it down to that place of, of, of systematic phrases and systematic teachings and, and doing this and going through this motion and stage lights and cameras and smoke machines and all that kind of stuff, you have to have that when you don't have the reality of Christ in you. See, I promise you, Jeremiah didn't need smoke machine. Jeremiah didn't need laser lights. He had a fire shot up in his bones, and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. He was excited about it, and he would tell anybody about it to their face. He would say, thus saith the Lord, and that's one of the problems in the church today is because they don't have the fire shot up in their bones because they're not tearing before the Lord and getting a word in due season for a nation that is going to hell. We don't know what bathroom we're using. We think we can 
give pills to children and let them become girls or boys or vice versa. We don't, we're marrying men and men and women and women. We're allowing abortion, the murder of our children. We are allowing our nation to go to hell. And all the church can think about is how to have a church growth conference. Let's, let's roast some hot dogs and sell some popcorn and give away iPads and, and get a bunch of people. The reality is that God's desire is to live in you and me. That's the reality. The reality is that God's desire is to live in you, to be alive in you. God could do this any way he wanted to. God could, in, God, God could do this any way he wanted to. He, he, he could. But his desire is to be alive in you. That's his desire. Why should we settle for less? Why should we settle for less than what God wants for us? We, we, we don't have a secret hidden gospel. Jesus said if he'd be lifted up, he'd draw all men. There's not a secret password you need to, to gain entrance to our God. You don't have a secret, you know, secret this and secret that. It's not hidden, it's open. It's Jesus Christ. He was lifted up for all the world to see. And all, listen, all, all, whosoever believes on him will be saved. Whosoever, from the drunk to the murderer to the rapist, God will save him. So one of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did is they removed the power, the living reality. The living reality. Listen to this. There's two things I want you to see. There was power over sin. You don't have to be what you were. You don't have to be what you were. There's power over sin. Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. The power to break the bondage of sin is in the cross, in the power of God. I want you to know that there's no bondage to a drug. There's no bondage to pornography. There's no bondage to, to any sin known to man that the power of God cannot break, cleanly break, the moment you come to Christ. The moment you release it. There is no chain, there's no bondage, there's no darkness, there's no depression, there's no power of Satan known to us that God doesn't cleanly and fully and completely sever. See, the, the thorn that was in Paul's side was not sin. A lot of, well, you just got to deal with that. No, you don't. If it's sin, you don't have to just deal with it. God Listen, and God can and God will break it. God will. You, and you don't even have to worry about it. All you have to know is that if it's sin, God's going to deal with it. God's going to get it out. God's desire is not that you live with it all your life. When, when we come to God and we release it, God's going to take care of it. And you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go to classes for it. You don't, you don't have to do that. You don't need somebody to, 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 to teach you how to be set free. You have to come to Christ to be set free. Not only is there power over sin, but there's power to live in victory. 
Not only is there power over sin, but there's power to live in victory. And I don't have the, I don't have time to go over and through all of that. But the, the reality is this, that the power of God in you will empower you to live victoriously in this life. It doesn't matter how dark your cave is. If God's in it with you, you've got the victory even if all you live in is a cave. If all you have is the clothes on the back of your shirt, if all you have is the shoes on your feet and you don't have anything else and you don't know anybody else, you still have victory because God is with you. That's the, that's the power of the victorious Christian life. It's not about worldly blessings and it's not about worldly standing, but it's about God in you. That's the victory. Our faith is the victory that overcomes this world and we have it not based on materialistic things and not based on the way things appear in the world, but the way we are in God in reality in the eyes of the Spirit. Number three about the Pharisees is they replace, listen, they replace, and you cannot do this. You cannot do that. You can't add or take away from the word of God. You cannot remove or deny the, the reality of the power. Number three, you cannot replace brokenness and contrition with pride and vanity. There's no other way to God except through brokenness and contrition. A contrite heart, God will not deny. The broken and the, the brokenhearted, God comes to. God comes running to the broken. You get brokenhearted, you know God's coming for you. God comes for the broken. And see, our problem is we look at the way things are in the world and we feel broken in the inside and we put on a mirage on the outside. But God wants us to be real. He wants us to be brutally honest. He wants us to be contrite and come to him with that broken heart and allow him to mend us. Allow him to mend us. Without brokenness and contrition, we we cannot come and receive anything from God. No person can receive from God till they're broken. It doesn't matter if they're an apostle or an evangelist. It doesn't matter if they're a pastor or a teacher. It doesn't matter if they're a worship leader. It doesn't matter if they're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter who they are or where they come come from. There's only one way to come to God, and it's through brokenness and contrition of heart. And you never graduate from that. This pride and vanity that's, that has invaded many of our lives is keeping us away from the power of God. And the fourth thing is they didn't see spiritually. Pharisees saw the same miracles other people saw. Do you realize, do you understand the, the Pharisees saw Lazarus raised from the dead? After four days... They saw this boy raised from the dead. And you know what they did? They conspired to kill him. They saw the same thing everybody else saw. The people in Mary and Martha's house, they were having revival. They were shouting. They were clapping. They they had the cymbals, the drums, the guitar, the keyboard. They was clapping. They didn't care. There was not a rock that was going to cry out in their place. They were worshiping God. 
And the whole time they were worshiping God and loving on God, listen, the whole time they were doing that, the Pharisees saw the same thing. And they said, we're going to have to kill this boy. Because if enough people see this miracle, they're going to believe on that Jesus. We got to kill this boy. The Bible says they plotted to kill him. They saw the the miracles. They saw the feeding of the thousands. They saw the Lazarus raised from the dead. Look, they saw the resurrected Christ. They saw all this stuff, but they didn't see it spiritually. And you know that you can be around church folks, and you can hear church messages, and you can see change lives, but not understand what is happening spiritually. Not one person has ever been changed because they're good enough, or because they went to the right church conference, or because the right minister laid hands on them. No person ever grew anything or anywhere in God until they got broken and came before Him, and humbly received Christ, and tarried until the Holy Spirit lifted them up. But you see, a Pharisee looks at this, a Pharisee will look at a drunk that got sober and they'll say, hmm, they must, they must be paying that guy. A Pharisee looks at a changed life. A Pharisee looks at a prostitute that came to an altar and, and, and supposedly got saved and said, yeah, she must be messing around with somebody at the church now. A Pharisee looks at the same thing but doesn't see the spiritual reality of what God's doing. So they were adding to the Word of God. They were taken away from the Word of God. They were denying the power of God, the reality of God. They were never broken or contrite. They were always full of pride and vanity, and they never, ever accepted the reality of the spiritual miracles that they saw. This... This truth, this truth, the power, of, the power of God. What is the power of God today? Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16, that it is the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross. That's the reality. God's desire is that we understand that there is no power given unto us there is no reality, no spiritual victory, none of that until Christ be preached and Christ be believed and Christ be received. That's God's method. It's been God's method ever since the church was birthed at, at Pentecost. And God's method never changed. His method didn't change when the industrial age happened. His method didn't change when the information age happened. And his method hasn't changed now that we're in the postmodern generation. This generation that doesn't know truth, doesn't accept truth, and makes their own reality. God's method still is the same. He's not changed. He works the same way he always has. It's an old, rugged cross. It's an old, faithful gospel. But God does a new work when you come to him that way. Is the power of God unto salvation to those that believe. Amen? Hallelujah. Lord, I pray your blessing over your people, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for their attention.